Imagine you could know what the future holds and have a more active hand in it. Just think what an edge that would give you. Our guest on this episode of the League of Visionaries podcast will show you how to do just that. She will introduce you to the tools that make it possible to not just predict the future with greater accuracy, but to prepare for it and even play a more active part in creating it practically and realistically. Our guest is a professional futurist, keynote speaker, and workshop leader who works with organizations so that they can learn how to use future skills to create new opportunities for themselves. Using the access of her various leadership positions, both regionally and internationally, she creates strong networks of people and encourages opportunities to co-create new projects and to share resources and insights. She holds the current position of President-Elect of the Global Speakers Federation, GSF, and is immediate past president of the Professional Speakers Association of Southern Africa, PSASA. She is also the author of several books on futures thinking and other subjects. Join us as we boldly go where no episode has gone before with Charlotte Kemp, Futures Alchemist. Welcome to the League of Visionaries podcast by Yazi Media. The League of Visionaries podcast is your place to meet visionaries, professionals, entrepreneurs, and other thought leaders with a visionary message to share. This podcast is for you if you too are a visionary driven by a deeper purpose in your work, your play, and your investments. I'm your host, Marie-Therese LaRue, the media strategist with soul and founder and owner of Yazi Media Virtual Media House. Connect with this League of Visionaries as we explore the power of purpose and how to bring it to the world through your message. This season of the League of Visionaries podcast is brought to you by Totally Morpheus, creators of the Egg 3 Leadership Assessment. It's fast, it's fun, it's free, and it points the way to your living leadership legacy. Charlotte Kemp, Futures Alchemist and Speaker, welcome to the League of Visionaries podcast. It is such a thrill to have you with us. Thank you, Marie. I'm really delighted to be here. And you say that you are a futures alchemist. You are also an Afro-optimist, even among trying circumstances, because this is not our first time around trying this interview. And we've had a lot of situations that don't always make it easy to be an Afro-optimist. Would you like to introduce your visionary message? Thank you, Marie. So this kind of visionary message evolved into my consciousness. It wasn't something I intentionally went after, but I'm having lots of conversations in my futures world and in my professional speaking world with people around Africa who have such amazing things to say. And I've had some experiences where we've seen when models and people and ideas are imported from other parts of the world and brought to Africa and they don't work. And yet Africa is sitting here with some really great ideas, lots of innovation. And, and that's that's my message is that there is some amazing wisdom, insight, people, ideas, models. And it's time for Africa to start exporting those ideas to the rest of the world instead of having to import other people's ideas to us. That is just so inspiring. And there are many facets of your work as a speaker, as an author, as a researcher, and just as such a phenomenal collaborator that just seems to be something that comes to you naturally. You've been exploring this and expressing this in all those fields. Let's start with your futures alchemist work. Okay. So I'm a futurist and that's a, a real thing. I know a lot of people are still kind of Wondering if a futurist is reading crystal balls, can we tell the lotto numbers? No, we can't. <laughs> it's about preparing us for the future rather than telling the future. We want to kind of craft different scenarios so we have ideas about how the future could unfold. And then we get to decide where we're going to lean in and try and influence and craft a future that is our preferred future as opposed to something else that comes along. So that is the future's work. And for that, I do speaking and workshops and coaching. I write lots of books and really help people to address their mindset, 
learn the tool set and then develop a skill set so that they can actually craft beautiful futures. But I call myself a futures alchemist because that is the collaboration part. Alchemy, the ancient art of alchemy, was about bringing together different metals, different substances, trying to work out how they combine. And the alchemists were, I guess they were competitive, but they also collaborated. They shared ideas. They shared little elements that might help somebody else's experiment to make a bit of progress. And they read widely and they researched and they were willing to be creative and experimental because they were trying to transcend. They were trying to take lead and turn it into gold. That's a traditional way we understand it. They wanted to transcend the base nature of lead and turn it into gold, but they also wanted to transcend themselves. They wanted to understand more deeply. They wanted to understand their spiritual lives. They wanted to connect with the world in a deeper way. So they were trying to transcend. And so for me, alchemy, futures alchemy is is working with the elements in organization or a team, understanding what we're dealing with, being willing to experiment, to co-create, you know, a little bit of magic, a little bit of art, and we can transcend and we can create something new out of that team. And I love the brand that you've created around that, the Futures Alchemist and your workshop, The Conscious, Future is the World Needs, right? And it was during one of your sessions that the penny just dropped for me why this is actually about alchemy, because a lot of futurist work can be so doom and gloom and so overwhelming and so depressing. And you actually have a very, very empowering take on this that you share in your workshops and also in your book. One of your books, you're going to remind me which one that you were releasing recently. So there have been a few books. (laughs) Oh, there are so many, but this one was specifically (laughs) about futures. One of the recent futures one was how to be the chief futures thinking officer that your organization needs. And I've got one about futures literacy, which is the building blocks. There's mm-hmm. conscious futurists, so we can become more intentional about our futures. And I also released a book called Futures Alchemist, which is a longer form narrative, which unpacks all of the futures models and demonstrates how we can use them in our companies, our startups, and in our careers. It's a wonderful repertoire. I think the one like for my level would probably have been the building blocks, the foundation. So that would be futures literacy. Futures literacy. Yes. We need a new language. We're going into this new unknown world. We need a language. We need to understand how to communicate ideas that we haven't needed to communicate before. And we can't communicate them unless we've got a common language, a common understanding. We've built those building blocks and then we can build on that. But to try and determine where the future is going or to make a future without understanding some fundamentals and some philosophy, then we do ourselves a disservice. We make it much more difficult and unpleasant. And if we're going to live in the future, let's try and make it better. That's exactly it. And I love the way that you work through different layers of this, because it means it's possible for anybody to come in and learn the basics and then go to take it to even CEO level. Because when that book arrived, across my path. I actually was so excited about it. I spoke to my whole family. I said, you're sitting down and we're reading this together. And we read it through in a couple of episodes over a few coffee times and they were so enthused. And it really is an exciting thing to see how that message can spark people. We are in a time when it's difficult to be optimistic and we don't want to be in a fool's paradise either, right? We do want to be informed and empowered. And you really set out the tools for that. I know you have quite a system and it's an elaborate one, but would you be open to sharing a nutshell of your futures process? All right. Thank you. So Let's just go back a tiny step. I am a professional futurist. I'm a member of the Association of Professional Futurists. Who even knew that that existed? The minute I knew that they existed, I signed up. And I had to be a student (laughs) member before I could become a professional. And some of my colleagues in that space are frustrated that every second consultant or speaker calls themselves a futurist. But my perspective is that all humans are futurists. We are natural futurists. But we can become better if we become intentional about learning some of the skills. I'm not saying everybody has to go back to university and earn a degree in this, but if we can think about it, we can be more intentional about crafting a helpful future that will guide us so that we feel like we have agency and that we're not victims, that things are not happening at us and to us that we can actually have an influence over them. So so from that position, that's why I really want to keep finding how to take all these amazing gorgeous academic models and tools out there and try and make them accessible to everyday people. 
And when my daughter, who was 22, attended one of my sessions, and she says, I can use this for my career, and she's still at university, I'm going, oh, we're getting it. We can make this accessible. The most basic process here, it doesn't matter what futurist you listen to or what you're reading online. If it's about the future, it'll fall into one of these four stages. So if you have these four stages, you can start your own futures plan in the next half hour. Stage one is you want to gather intelligence. What is it that you need to know? You can gather as wide and broad as you like, or you can just kind of gather a bit of information because you want to get started and learn how this process works. But what is the data? What are the stories, the narratives, the rules? How are people doing it in different parts of the world? How does it relate to, you know, what do you need to know about your industry, et cetera? And if you're learning more about futures as you go deeper and deeper, then what are the futures models that I need to learn and understand for the next stage of my understanding? So gather intelligence. The second stage is manage change. We're going to be changing into the future. It's inevitable. Maybe we're initiating change because we're excited, because we're visionary, but we've got a team who needs to be taken care of and taken along with us rather than overwhelmed and bewildered by all the change. So how do we manage change in this process? Third stage is for me the most fun that's describing the future. And now you're casting vision. Now you are deciding where you want to go. One of the really helpful tools is to design scenarios. And that falls under this level as well. So you design your regular business plan. That's a scenario. Then you design a utopian, brilliant, awesome, amazing version of that. And then you design the dystopian, what if COVID was not the worst kind of thing that could hit the globe? How would we respond to that? Both of those extreme versions create for us a chemical cascade literally in our brain because our brains think either excited, brilliant, wonderful, or scary. Once we've had that chemical cascade in our brain, it comes out in our body. We feel either excited and tingly, or we feel, if it's a negative one, we feel dry mouth, sweaty palms, you know, nausea, that kind of thing. We need to get past the, the brain chemicals and we need to get past the physical reaction and create practical plans for the future. How would we deal with this? You know, do we take on more debt or not take on more debt or more employees or plan better or more conservatively or more bold? Whatever it is we need to do, we make those plans. We're describing the future. A fourth stage is to test our strategy. Key performance indicators or any way that you're assessing your progress. And now you've done gathered intelligence, managed change, describe the future and actually test your strategy. You are a futurist. You have a futures plan. Charlotte, I, I'm supposed to be looking at my questions for you. And instead, I just quickly looked you up on Amazon. All your wonderful books are there. And if that was not an introduction to why everybody needs those books, there's something for everyone that is really, really powerful. Because yes, those five stages, and I know you've expressed them at different levels throughout your different books and materials. Thank you so much for that. And what power there is in this idea of the future's alchemist and that stunning brand. And I have to admit, I was curious about your work, but what really got my attention was when you were presenting awards at last year's Professional Speakers Association of Southern Africa Gala Dinner, and you handed over, you had just completed your term as president, and you handed over to the new president, Bruce Wade, who's also a great collaborator of yours, and you gave him something. And it just flashed across the room, and I thought... Hmm, what is this? And I saw like some kind of an inside joke and I had to find out what is it. And Bruce stepped off the stage with what I am sure was a Star Trek communicator. Yeah. So then I heard the explanation, Charlotte is a Trekkie. And I'd love to know what's the connection between being a Trekkie and being a futurist and how that also inspires your futurist work. Oh, thank you. All right. That's an excellent question. I love science fiction and a broad range of science fiction. I love reading it. And I have since I was a child. And obviously, I love a lot of the movies. I'm not that keen on all of the Hollywood gory horror stories about the future, because in those cases, Hollywood's trying to sell movies. They're trying to sell tickets and people must, you know, buy these movies. But the actual stories themselves are basically scenarios. The future could look like this. And that would mean humans would relate this way. What does that imply for us? How can we learn from that? It's a basic scenario speculative fiction exercise. And I love that. But Star Trek in particular for me is powerful because what they're imagining is a, a federation of people, species across the, 
the multiverses even, coming together across all the quadrants, coming together and co-creating a place where they're working towards something together without diluting their individual characteristics of the different species. It is really important because when we're talking about diversity and inclusion and collaboration, we want to round off the parts of other people or other types of people that are difficult or different from us. We want to round it also it's smoother. We're just going to be homogenous. We don't want a team of people who are the same. We want this range of different experiences and that creates a richer, more valuable future. So for me, anything that we're going into the future, we want to find a way to collaborate uh, really intentionally that way and have those difficult conversations. And a lot of, of Star Trek is really looking at that. So I have, by some of my friends, been identified as either Captain Janeway or Admiral Janeway. And so this was just me passing on the, not just the baton of leadership oh. of the Professional Speakers Association of Southern Africa, but also the captaincy to my friend Bruce, which shared value in that. That's so beautiful. And I just had my goosebumps moment. I think like every episode needs to have a goosebumps moment. I'm interested that it was the Star Trek one, but I think there are more to come <laughs> in our discussion about Africa. The way that you point out the almost allegory of inclusivity, of diversity that we have in a series like Star Trek really makes it comfortable to look at things that become very uncomfortable. Because I'm sure the beginning of beginning to work with Klingons, if you're a Vulcan, must be very, very challenging. And our workplaces and our cultures nowadays are actually experiencing problems like this. We are seeing the negative traits of the Klingons, for example, because they can be very aggressive, for example. But at the same time, if we learn how to harness that inside a shared purpose, we really have a lot of power waiting there. That's really valuable. And also seeing that in the light of the future. Very, yeah. very exciting. And that leads me to your speaking work, because mm -hmm. I'd like to keep your Africa adventures for last. And you've got so many amazing experiences as a speaker, but also within the speaking community, fostering those communities through professional associations. You've done this in the Professional Speakers Association of Southern Africa, the PSASA, and you've completed your presidency there. You are now preparing for your term as president as of the Global Speakers Federation. Would you like to share more about what motivates you to do that? It sounds like a big job and at the same time, one that is so influential. Well, I couldn't be president of the Federation in Star Trek, because it hasn't started yet. So the next best thing was to be president of the Global Speakers Federation. And I don't <laughs> think they know that. <laughs> but, but they won't tell. They won't tell. <laughs> but we have the same goals with the Global Speakers Federation to provide this platform to connect the speaker associations around the world. So if we go back just to like individual speakers, for me, a person who is bold enough to look at their skill set and their understanding, know that they have something of value, find a way to communicate that from their heart or from their mind to an audience and to a client and to get over their own stuff that has got them there and to do that with integrity and skill and craftsmanship and passion. I just think professional speakers are some of the boldest, bravest, most audacious people in the world and they are change makers. They are visionary. And I want to be in that community and I want to support the people that I'm seeing. And, and to see so many of the work we're doing within PSA SA, a lot of the work over the last four years has been to put things in place to help beginner speakers to ramp up faster, to be able to, when I started, I had to discover a lot of these issues were even issues, were even things like years after I'd started. So we want to be able to shorten that career path for some people and say, these are the things you're going to face. We're not saying how you have to deal with them, but here's a range of examples of how people have found a way to deal with imposter syndrome or to define their expertise or to communicate with value or to communicate something for an audience when a client is paying for something slightly different. So there's so much that we need to unpack. So I love working with speakers. I love working with speaker associations because associations are people coming together to co-create opportunities. And then these speaker associations around the world join together to form the Global Speakers Federation. And the federation serves that leadership. So not the individual speaker, but serves the volunteer leaders in the associations around the world so that they can do better work for their members, for the profession broadly.
Thank you so much for that. I don't think I'll ever see the Global Speakers Federation in the same light now that I see it on the enterprise, but because there are so many parallels there. That's just beautiful. And I'm really excited about the way that you're taking Africa's message into that federation as well, simply by virtue of what you're doing. And something to acknowledge is that organizations like these are professional organizations, but although it furthers people's careers in certain ways, a lot of the work, especially for the leadership there, is actually investing in other speakers' careers and really donating your time, your expertise, and your tremendous experience in this field to help them. And uh, it's it's really interesting how the ripple effect of that goes through, because I remember a small tip that you dropped in one of your presentations to the PSASA, and it made a complete turnaround in my perspective. And it was specifically one about a problem that speakers often face, which is a lot of people think that being on yours on their stage is mm. such a great honor that you should do it for free. And <laughs> you have an excellent way for those worthy causes where it is actually worthwhile to appear on a stage for free or for a new speaker who might still need the experience and the exposure. So your strategy for this was game-changing for me. And I'd be so grateful. And I think a lot of the visionaries who are listening would be so grateful to have this tip from you. You know what it is, right? Yes, I'm hoping I get the right one. <laughs> <laughs> I know you've got a lot of good ones, but this one is about the invoice. <laughs> Char yeah, charging for our expertise um, on a stage is a difficult thing. And people have different models. So some people are happy to not be paid because they're representing something else or because they expect to get business on the back end. Whereas others like myself, we invest in that moment where we're standing on the stage and we're investing in our own skill, our knowledge, our understanding, coaching of ourselves, our you know learning, et cetera. So a lot is invested for that moment. But then we were often asked to do something at no charge because it's a good cause. And first piece of advice is we, we always say never, ever do a speech for free. Uh, you always do it as a showcase, which means that you, you draft your invoice and you put in all the information that you would for a regular client. And then you, if you've decided to, you discount it by 100% and you hand that invoice to that person so that they know that they know what you're worth. And if somebody else goes to that organizer and says, wow, Marie was a great speaker. How much did she charge? You do not want them to say, oh, she was, we got it for free. You want them to say, this is her fee. She did us a favor and I'll explain why, but you know, she did us a favor. So we got her for free, but this is what she's really worth. And then that helps the speaker, the consultant, the expert. It helps them to make, maintain that integrity in their own mind about what they're worth um, and also helps the audience and, the, and future clients to understand. But as to whether we should do this for free or not, so a model I've got from a, a UK speaker some time ago, and it just makes so much sense. He says, a charity would approach you and say, would you speak for free? And if it's a very good fit, if this is something that is on your heart, if this is a cause that means something to you, and you have time in your calendar to do this and capacity in yourself to do this, you say, this is a good fit. Uh, I'm, I'm going to do this. And I'm prepared to waive my fee. And in some cases, we even, you know, incur our own expenses traveling somewhere because we want to be part of something because it really, really resonates with us. If it doesn't fit, then you want your fee. And you say, look, I understand what you're doing. I understand that it's good work, but there's lots of good work happening across the world and I can't support everything. And, and it's also good work for me to be responsible about my own home responsibility. So I need my fee. If it's not a good fit and they're not going to pay your fee, then you flee, you run away. Uh, you do not have to uh, respond to every great opportunity that is out there because uh, we, we do not have the capacity. We're not running nonprofits. We, we are running professional businesses. So we have to be responsible to those who, um, who re rely on us. Well, yes, thank you so much for explaining that so well, because so many visionaries step out into the world of speaking and there is the temptation to speak for free, especially at the beginning. And there is a time and a place for this, but that really places it in context. And it's not just that they know the value of what they're getting. When you step on that stage and you know you're giving a keynote presentation or a talk or a workshop even at the value mm -hmm. that you put on that top line of your invoice, 
it really raises the standard that you bring to the party and that they go away with. And also another one on this is that that discount doesn't have to be 100%. So building on your advice, I went and took that process and went to a 90% discount. And uh, because the original fee was a high one, it actually was a really good first entry opportunity with a potential speaking client. And Mm. I think uh, this is the kind of empowering opportunity that, that many visionaries can make use of. Now, your work with the PSASA has also spread out, and I'm not sure how this happened because it was, I don't know if it was ever the South African Professional Speakers Association of South Africa, but it branched out into Africa and became the Professional Speakers Association of Southern Africa. And it is now a haven for many aspiring speakers. Was that a natural evolution? All right. So yeah, let me give you some background way back. And a lot of our associations around the world have gone through the same kind of reassessment of their personal brand or professional brand. Originally, we were the National Speakers Association of South Africa. So it was just this this country. And long before I was involved in leadership, it it was rebranded to Professional Speakers of Southern Africa. And that means we represent this kind of southern tip, uh, Namibia, Botswana, Zimbabwe, uh, Mauritius, et cetera. And, and we're responsible for, for this area. And again, a number of our associations around the world are, are regional rather than national. So we got one called LATAM, which is the Latin American Speakers Association. And that's you know a couple of countries around that area. We got the same with PSA, UK and Ireland. It's more of a regional association. So we, we're here in, in the southern tip of Africa, but Everybody who's a leader of the association has their own speaking career to take care of. So to be able to carve out some time to to kind of expand and grow what the association means is is quite a challenge. I was very fortunate that I married a past president of PSASA, and he and I had such uh, wonderful shared goals and values in terms of what we were doing. So um, together, we were able to do quite a bit of extra work, and we've expanded And one of the things that I created was our virtual chapter of PSASA to cater for, because we only had four physical chapters and they were all in South Africa. So how can we say we represented the rest of Southern Africa if we're not there? So we created a virtual chapter allowing people from Namibia, Botswana, Zimbabwe, from Bloemfontein, uh, anywhere else to, to join us. And then we use that platform of that virtual chapter to, to reach out and, and, connect with some of the speakers in Africa where they don't have an association. Namibia consequently set up their own association and we're very closely related to them. Uh, We we try and share a lot of resources and and interactions, but we still, PSASA is the only association that belongs to the Global Speakers Federation. There isn't another body that, that we were aware of originally. So we started doing lots of conversation, lots of reaching out. And then we partnered with another association called the Virtual Speakers Association International. They're not, it's not about virtual speakers. It's about an association that is virtual for speakers Mm -hmm. who don't have a local, national, or regional association. So I said to them, PSASA is finding members across Africa, but we don't actually represent the whole place and we we can't represent an entire continent. And you are technically there to pick up any speakers that we find in the rest of the world. Why don't we collaborate? Why don't we take care of the speakers on this continent? instead of anyone ever thinking that we're in competition. So we, we came together to collaborate. We had some ideas. And the first thing we came up with and we ran with and we just had a great time was the first Pan-African Speakers Summit. And then we connected with, we brought Namibia in. So they're part of this, the Cameroon Association, the Zambian Association. Um, and there's speakers together in a group in Tanzania. And we started reaching out to others. And we had an absolutely incredible conference that it was designed for speakers in Africa, by speakers in Africa. We didn't import anything from anywhere else in the world. It was just, it, it was African speakers. And we're talking about, let's identify ways to raise our standards and reach other audiences and other platforms without losing what it means to be African or Cameroonian. You, we, you know, we want to keep ourselves but we want to be able to communicate that level. And, um, and it was brilliant. It, it was so much fun. Um, we, we got a few more members into that. We created a bit of a buzz. And now we're doing the second one this year. It's, it's really exciting. And the convener for this upcoming one um, is a Nigerian speaker who lives in Bloemfontein in South Africa. 
She's part of the PSA essay and she's bringing her, her energy and passion to this. And she's connecting with people um, so fast to try and pull them into this. And that's what it's about, collaborating, sharing, understanding, supporting each other. I, I love now seeing Cameroon does something, a Cameroon association. And then the Zambian speakers are there, you know, supporting them and sharing. And that's what it's all about, um, that, that we can learn from each other and really celebrate what it means to be a speaker on the African continent. That is just such a wonderful initiative, really making it possible for any speaker, because there are things you need to know if you want to speak successfully. And having that community of other speakers. And what amazes me most about speaking organizations, both the PSASA and the Global Speakers Federation, is just the way that everybody supports each other. I would have thought all these speakers would be in competition, but there they are teaching each other their tricks, passing on skills, even opening up opportunities. Because what happens is that one speaker will say, well, I've had an invitation to speak here, but I'm booked, or it's not my topic, or I see an opportunity, and they pass it on to each other. There's just yeah. this generosity. Incredible generosity. And, and the sharing of resources is so important because you know, we, we want to raise the standards. It's not like the Surgeons Association where you can't, you know, cut somebody open unless you're a member and you're following a certain amount of rules. Anybody can call themselves a speaker and go and speak and speak for free or speak poorly or speak with without integrity. And we can't punish that. We, we There's no way that we can deal with that directly. But what we can do is invite people in, share resources, raise standards, encourage each other. And the better speakers are around the world, the better it looks for everyone else. So, so it, I don't want it to sound self-serving, but ultimately after, you know, 20 years invested in the profession, you're going to be doing yourself a really good service by helping other speakers to, to do the same. And, um, and then you do, you do get that, the, the sharing of, of opportunities as well. And also the clarity of, so I can say as a futurist, this is what I do. This is my sweet spot. And something you're talking about here is, is a little bit more towards innovation or entrepreneurship. And let me bring those people in. And then we provide a better service and a richer experience for the client and for the audience. And then we look good because we're not talking half-heartedly about something we sort of know about, but we can dive deeper into our own field and, and really own it and develop that reputation. That's really outstanding. And speaking of reputation, all members of the PSASA subscribe to a code of conduct. So for event organizers, I recently spoke to an event organizer who said to me, but he's cautious about paying speakers in advance because he's had a speaker who ran off with the money and never showed up again. Obviously, that speaker didn't get a gig from them again. But wouldn't event organizers feel so much more certainty if they actually are associated with an organization that this where part of their conduct is prescribed by the organization and event organizers can rest assured that they're bringing a certain quality to their stage. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and yeah, it's terrible for somebody to run off with the money. That sort of thing happens in, I suppose, in, in every kind of uh, business that is out there, but it's almost worse to pay the money the person pitches up and then they're really bad and they're pretty yes. prepared uh, or they're not doing a good job. And, and we can't always get it exactly 100% right, um, you know, for everybody, but we, we want to offer a really good service and being part of this and, and being aware of the ethics and talking about that and, and talking about the standards and clarifying the terminology and clarifying how we negotiate with, with clients and, and really find out how to, there's a lot of words and phrases that people use differently. So one of the presentations I do to speaking colleagues is saying, these are some words. This is how we have defined them. Now, forget everything like that, because when your client talks, they're going to use the same word in a different way. Find out what your client means. What do they really, what are they imagining you're going to do? And once you can get that right, then we can deliver something closer. So, so yeah, the ethics is the foundation. And then we have to just keep building up on that in terms of skill and insight and experience from others. That's really valuable. Thanks, Charlotte. So, this movement of the PSASA into becoming a Southern African organization. And by the way, I'll add a link to the PSA's pages in the show notes as well, because that's so well worth knowing about. But 
it expanded further into Africa. And along with this, a lot of your work has been expanding into Africa. You told us at the start about your Afro-optimism, and you have got several fires, uh, several, several irons in the fire for Africa. Where would you like to begin? All right. So thank you. And that's actually quite interesting because as you're positioning that, I remembered how this particular project started. So what I'm looking at, I'll go back to this stage. Um, my husband and I were invited to speak at a conference in Tanzania and a Nigerian colleague was also invited to speak, although he lives here in South Africa. And we arrived ahead of the time and we arrived to work with the, with the client, the organizer, got to know what he's trying to do, meet the other speakers, some social stuff, some extra extracurricular meetings and things like that. And uh, we're waiting the whole time um, for the headline speaker who's coming from America. And we're there ahead of time. But then the next day, uh, we, get the, we get the news that the headline speaker, who was literally like on the billboard, his big face, um, he's decided he's not coming to Africa to speak. Uh, it's not his audience. And he just dropped us. Talk about ethics. <laughs> um, dropped the whole the conference organizer at the last minute. Now, we're all there invested in doing this. And the headline speaker is going to get paid more than we were going to get paid, um, doesn't pitch up. So that was my moment saying, okay, this is enough importing people, wisdom speakers from, from other parts of the world. Uh, it's time for African speakers to, to step up and, and really own our local stage and to export ourselves. So I started working on that. And, and that's how we got to this whole collaboration with VSAI and the first Pan-African Speakers Conference. And at that time, I invited a speaker. Uh, I asked her, fill in the call for speakers. I've seen you speak. I know your work. I want you to be part of this. And Yilang Pujenka spoke at this meeting. And she shared a message that was just, I fell in love with her content. It's like, you know, one of our ethical uh, restraints is we don't steal each other's content. But I'm going, oh, that is beautiful. I just, I want to be able to talk about that. So I kept putting her forward to other people saying, you've got to listen to her work. You've got to listen to her, her perspective on, on what is possible in Africa. And eventually she came back to me and she said, what can we do together? So we talked a little bit and we, we got some ideas and we decided to, to write a book, to, to take her, her seven points, her messages, Africa on the cusp of an economic miracle. And, you know, I'm saying that in the middle of load shedding here in South Africa. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not foolish about the realities of Africa, but I know that if we don't change the narrative, that there's no chance of us having any kind of success, let alone a miracle, if we don't really look at our narrative. So, so she and I started working together and writing this book. And at the same time, I was working with networking with futurists in Africa. I'm a member of the Association of Professional Futurists. Uh, on their website, I can find the others, other futurists in Africa. And we, we're networking. We have a Zoom call. We've got some coffee. We're chatting about the work that we do. Like, hi, I'm in Kenya and I'm in Egypt and I'm in Nigeria and South Africa and, and Zambia. And we're getting to know each other. And then I said, why don't we write a book together? Why don't we each contribute a chapter about the future of Africa? What, what is it that we're doing? And both of these books kind of evolved almost at the same pace. I can imagine that they're both going to be published at the same time at this rate. But we've got these, these different futurists doing different kinds of work. I mean, some really academic, deep research work, some about the future work, some about the narrative, some about um, kind of the African ethics and African community and what that means for the future. Others about the future of kind of the geography and the landscape and the animals in Africa. Um, so it, it looks like they're all different things. But when you start bringing them together, people say, what is the theme you want? What do you want us to say? And I said, I want to hear what you have to say. And mm -hmm. this is what is coming out. The, the, the theme between both those books and all the stories is if we don't change the narrative about what is possible in Africa, then we're doomed to the narrative that others have applied to us. If we don't have a positive perspective to challenge all of the negative perspective that is already there, then we don't have any options. So I, I take a very intentionally optimistic perspective, knowing that there are challenges, but knowing that if we don't find the stories, if we don't find the data and we don't find the statistics to demonstrate success we are having, as well as potential success in the future, if we don't make that effort, then we're, we're doomed. Uh, we might as well just throw our hands up. Um, so, but when you start doing that, I, that's my goosebump moment. Every time I get an email from any of these um, colleagues and I just read their opening paragraphs, I'm going, I did not ask them to say that, but look what they're saying. And, and it's wow. just so exciting. 
Oh, incredible. So that Amazon author page is going to be filling up even more in the in the near future. And it's so exciting to be a co-author because actually being part of that process with other authors is really a whole different thing from writing a book by yourself. Elan Projenka actually spoke about her concept of Africa being on the cusp of an economic miracle. And that is episode seven of the League of Visionaries podcast. So one well worth looking into. Beautiful. And then there's Voices into Africa. Ah, so that's another collaboration and um, initiated by uh, Bruce Wade. And he's he's got a really interesting vision in terms of the work that he's doing. But he brought some of us around into a business. So it's myself and Indijeka Chikatori, who is the She's the convener of this next Pan-African Speaker Conference. And what we're doing with Voices into Africa is creating kind of a, a, a portal. So it's not an association, but a place for speakers to look in terms of some commercial progress. So we've got a speaker bureau there called Red Jacket Speaker Bureau, which we're still redesigning and, and kind of realigning with the brand. And we want to highlight the speakers in Africa, give them a platform to, to be able to demonstrate to other parts of the world that they're available and what they speak on and to do some speaker training and to do book launches and events and to encourage people in terms of that. So it, it's really an exciting adventure. At the moment, it, it's kind of still starting and we see potential and kind of like buzzing and bubbling just under the surface. But, but we really want to create this platform where more speakers can connect and you know connect with each other, connect with clients and audiences, learn more, demonstrate more, and then start to bring their books and their talent and their courses uh, onto a platform that uh, they can expose them to the rest of the world for their own commercial gain, because ultimately we're going to need to earn money from this. And if we don't know how to do that, then you just have someone with with a passion in their mind, a vision in their mind, and they're stuck in their local town and they don't know what to do with it. And it's time we export this very intentionally to the rest of the world. That's a really important point that you make there. You've mentioned that we import other speakers. And our first objective is to start making use of local talent, talent from across the continent, but actually beginning to export speakers from Africa as world-class speakers. You've spoken about the narrative about Africa. And as someone born in Africa, it's almost like we are taught that it's not okay to be entirely proud of yourself. You're inferior to the first world. You're inferior to Europeans, inferior to Americans, you're inferior to Australians. And who who made that hierarchy? In so many ways, and I look at the speakers that are represented in the different organizations that you're participating in, and they are world class. Mm -hmm. We can certainly hold a candle to the rest of the world, but more than that, in many ways, we can show them how it's done. But we can do it in a whole different way. And, and it's back to the, to the Starship Enterprise. Every different, every different grouping can bring something very, very unique. And I wonder how many people even realize how diverse the speakers coming out of Africa are with their very different histories and their very different cultural approaches to things. There really is a goldmine that's just waiting to uncover. Absolutely. There's a deep wisdom in Africa. There's kind of a, a patience, a connection to, to nature, to the environment, peacefulness. I mean, obviously, there, there's also poverty and drought and, and a whole lot of other challenges, but, but there, there is a, a connectedness here um, that allows people from Africa to, to sometimes resist some of the temptations of you know, um, quarter on quarter GDP growth and things like that. We, we don't have to follow those models. We can find different ways to, to live in our environment, to live in our world. I'm thinking Africa could be a bit of a challenge for that. Yes, yes, absolutely. The differences can very often be exactly the things that can become a selling point, right? This is something that speakers learn and something that every visionary needs to learn is it's often our differences in the speaking world, it's very often our pains, our difficult stories, our struggles that make speakers relatable and that actually give them that credibility. 
that they're not just someone standing up there on a stage, but somebody that people can really, really relate to and who can take them along, take them along on that journey. Yeah. Beautiful. (laughs) Charlotte, what question have I not asked you (laughs) that you would love to answer? (laughs) Oh, um, I don't know. I, I think it would it would go back to right to the beginning of, of futures thinking and just how we think about the future. And, you know, a, again, uh, around the world, I know that there are some some challenges and in, in individual lives. There are some serious hurts and things like that. But but I really do believe that we we can be a little bit more intentional about the future and find ways to respond and, and find different ways to respond to the world so that we're not we're not just mindlessly one of the uh, species in Star Trek is called the Ferengi, and uh, they have hundreds of rules of acquisition, <laughs> and they're all about the acquisition and the profit. And you know, and sometimes we get caught up in that. We we just we we believe we should be on this treadmill trying to do things, but but we can actually stop and have a bit of philosophy and with ourselves and find a different way of living and and find an intentional way of creating a future that means something to us, and we're not comparing ourselves to other people. And, and I think when we get to that, then we're finding a really a beautiful way of living wherever we are in the world and whatever kind of work we're doing. That's a beautiful message for the, the conscious futurist in every one of us. Yes. And Charlotte, finally, if you had a time machine from the future, one of these wonderful steampunk <laughs> devices that belongs on your future's alchemist page, mm-hmm. and you could go back and speak to your past self before you started the journey to where you are today. Because there is a visionary listening today who is at exactly that point. What advice would you want to take back in the time machine? Wow, uh, that's an interesting one. I, I, would, I would advise myself to be a little bit more curious and a little bit more bold uh, in terms of exploring things because the times that I've been bold and willing to try something different have been the times, not easy times, but the times when I've really experienced something that is kind of like at my core, something that really means something to me. The times that I've played it safe, those, they become dull and gray uh, times in, in my in my thinking. So the, the boldness and the curiosity, we, we are in, in, in an infinitely amazing world with so much that we haven't discovered yet about the world and so much that we haven't discovered in ourselves. So let's let's keep being curious and unpacking that and, and discovering what we can create, co-create together. Well, let's let's send off that time machine. I think <laughs> it's ready to be launched. Thank you, Charlotte. And to close off with, where are the best places that people can find you? I know that we often see each other on LinkedIn, but you, you, you recently also started a TikTok channel. Oh, yes. My, my daughter and her friends are so proud of me for having my cute TikTok channel. <laughs> there, there I am being bold and trying to do this. And, um, and it's really funny because when I, when I record in TikTok on the phone, I have to actually put my glasses on because I can't see it that close to me. So yes, it is an experiment, but I'm having a lot of fun. So uh, TikTok and YouTube, I put out some videos and some insights into tools and models that I use. And you can just find me under both with Charlotte Kemp or Charlotte Kemp Futurist. I am on LinkedIn. I love being on LinkedIn. It allows me to connect with people around the world and to, you know, have that kind of touch point so that I can reach out and have conversations with people when I need to learn something from them, uh, as well as when I want to share some of the work that I'm doing. And then I have uh, my two websites. Uh, one is charlottekemp.co.za. That's my personal stuff. There's a whole page there just of all the projects that I'm working on in Africa, which is quite exciting. And then futuresalchemist.com. And that is where all the models and the programs and the courses are and constantly putting more books and uh, online self-paced courses there so that people can, you know, pursue their own journey in learning how to be a futurist. Very, very exciting. And I'm going to add your Amazon.com authors page as well to our links in the description, because there's a book there for everybody. We've spoken about the futures book, but of course, you also recently launched What's Your Speaker Quotient, right? Calculating Your Speaker Quotient, together with Bruce Wade. That's right. It's uh, subtitled The Kemp Wade Formula. Um, And it was was one of the easiest books to write because I just got this picture of of a formula 
about how we can calculate our value to communicate to a client, whether we're a speaker or a coach or a counselor or a consultant or an expert of any nature, um, how do we communicate that? And then Bruce uh, has all the, the maths knowledge and he just pumped that formula up and then we just broke it down and wrote about it. And, and as we were writing, we were learning uh, and it just it just flowed. I'm, I'm really proud of that book. Um, and I, I'd love to hear if anybody reads it, if they see their own work in a different way because of what they've learned. Very, very definitely. And I was lucky enough to get my hands on a copy when we met in Cape Town and I read it on the flight back. So it's a book you can read on a very short flight and completely shift the way that you see your work. Because once again, it was one of those that gave me whole new insight on my work as a speaker, but also as positioning oneself as an expert, whatever field it is in, really going to see what are all those little ingredients that make you so exceptional. And very often it's the things we forget. And um, reading this book, there were a couple of pointers that made me think, oh, I thought that was irrelevant. And guess what? Actually, <laughs> actually, that, that makes a very big difference. So the Kemp Wade formula is one that no speaker should be without. And yes, they're all there. Thank you so much, Marie. I, I really appreciate you um, kind of promoting that and your feedback as well on the, on the nature of the books and how you relate to them. Thank you. Oh, well, it's it's the greatest pleasure. They've really been fun reads. I'm inspired to uh, to keep looking at what comes next. And yeah, the books are all there. I think all of them are available on Kindle. Is that right? So that is literally a click away. Really, really well worth reading. Charlotte Kemp, Futures Alchemist and President Incumbent of the Global Speakers Federation. Uh, perhaps our own Captain Janeway. <laughs> Thank you very, very much for being with us on the League of Visionaries podcast today and really casting a visionary light on the future, especially on Africa and changing the narrative to really seeing that miracle that we're on the verge of. Thank you, Maria. I really appreciated the time and the conversation. Live long and prosper. You've been listening to the League of Visionaries podcast by Yazi Media, proudly brought to you by Totally Morpheus. Subscribe to the League of Visionaries podcast here on your favorite podcasting platform and follow Yazi Media on LinkedIn to find out more about how you can share your visionary message with the world. If you are a visionary, chances are you are also a leader. But what is your current leadership state? The way you are leading right now, your default setting, if you will. The Egg 3 Leadership Assessment helps you to understand the way you lead, your strengths, and your potential challenges as a leader. And most importantly, how to create your unique leadership legacy. It's fast. It's fun. It's free. It's the Egg 3 Leadership Assessment from Totally Morpheus. And when you take this assessment, you will get an instant report right away, pointing the way to your living leadership legacy. Find the Egg 3 Leadership Assessment now at totallymorpheus.com. Audio editing for this episode of the League of Visionaries podcast was done by Dylan Mentz. Find Dylan in the description to this episode.